0: Hello. Today in the Loopcast, I have Amanda Moore, and we are discussing her time uh, in the MAGA milieu, in the MAGA movement. Uh, It was about a year. Um, One of the big reasons that we kind of wanted to do this show was that for all the coverage of the MAGA movement, for all the kind of that high visibility that's been placed on the movement and all parts of it, right? So from Q the white, the explicitly white supremacist parts of it and Trump himself, et cetera. There hasn't been a lot of like personal kind of undercover journalistic uh, examinations of this movement for various reasons, as we'll kind of dig into the show. And I was kind of very fascinated by this because, you know, uh, I don't mean to make this personal, but as a person of color, kind of going to these, these spaces in person has kind of been prohibited. Right. So it became more prohibitive as the pandemic hit and then maximal prohibited when uh, being vaccinated started becoming problematic in these spaces. Um, So I was just, you know, the online spaces are very easy to access. They don't take a lot of skill to kind of enter and examine, but the meat space, literally M-E-A-T and M-E-E-T, it's kind of harder to get into and we really want to in within the context of the show and and sort of kind of pick that apart and look at it through the lens of amanda's experience so uh with that please welcome amanda moore how's it going
1: i'm good i'm good thanks for having
0: me of course um so i was kind of debating with myself about how to start the show and i think I think for me, the the first question I wanted to ask is, what was the precise moment or the precise question that kind of made you want to go undercover? What, what, like, what was that that decision like?
1: Um, there's not really a precise moment or question. Um, like you were just saying, I'm I'm obviously not a person of color. I you know I'm I'm blonde and white and. I have light eyes. And so it's always been very easy for me to kind of be in these spaces. And um, I come from, you know, like a background that is, I don't come from a fascist background, but I was like a libertarian, um, you know, as a teenager and then in my early 20s. And people that I knew within that movement did move on to become fascists or they um, kind of made a full left like I did. Um, And so I've always, kind of been able to go to an event and just uh, cross the line you know um there was a laura loomer uh, event a few years ago in dc and i i was actually meaning to go to the protest side and i got like mixed up because it was so close to my office that when i walked out of my office i literally walked straight into the nazi side of the rally um, and nobody kicked me out and so I went around, and, you know, like took some pictures of some of the Proud Boys that were there and things like that. So it's it's always been something I've been able to do um, in small pieces. I guess, you know, the the literal moment, I realized that this was gonna be a little longer term um, was obviously January 6th, standing there and, and being present at the Capitol for that. Um, but, It's not what I did was not something that's out of character for me in any in any way. um, To kind of go and and just document whatever I see.
0: So, can you give us kind of a timeline? So, it starts January sixth, twenty twenty one, and goes to I want to say November twenty twenty one. But can you give us kind of this broad, like a a very broad (laughs) perspective?
1: Sure, November fourteenth, twenty twenty, and then I was docked September twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, and I tried to continue on, and go to another event, but I was banned from the event, and that would have been at the end of October. Um, so yeah, my first my first event within this like, COVID world was the first um, million MAGA march or the first DC Stop the Steel rally, uh, which was about a week after the election was called. Um, and it was it was that stop the steel rally then there was a second stop the steel rally in d c in December of twenty twenty and then the third stop the steel rally turned into january six um, and then from there I would go on to various conferences and and q and meetups um kind of across the country
0: so you're i mean so you're going undercover, right so you're not so how I, I really like was kind of fascinated by like how does that work in for somebody like my understanding of you is that you're not a journalist, you're not like a spy, and you're not like a, a cop, you're just a kind of regular person. And when you start going undercover, when you start sort of entering this space, um, what what was kind of the prep? Like the let's let's start with the mental prep. Like what do you is it? did you have to create another sort of iteration of amanda like here's amanda the maga person and here's amanda the real person like what is the mental prep to to start to go undercover
1: so um for my alter ego i literally she's just me but if i was a racist fascist um i knew it was going to be too hard to you know, like tone down my personality, like we're not, you know, I'm I'm not tricking some guy from Kentucky into thinking I'm going to be his trad wife, right? Like, and and you can see it's reflected in in who I hung out with. I hung out with people who are fine with my personality. That's going to be like people from the mid-Atlantic, people from New England and people from, you know, like Michigan and like Chicago, um, because it's just, you know, I talk fast and I have a big personality and I knew it was going to be too much to try to turn that off. And also, uh, be this other person, um, so you know i you know if you're like a blank slate going in undercover, you know maybe I would have tried to be like a Haley Adams or something um you know out there you know toting a gun around and and hanging out with people who are doing you know violent crimes but that's if i was a if I was a racist fascist, I wouldn't be like that you know i I would do exactly what I did um, so so that's that's how I handled it. I used a fake last name, but I even used my real first name because I also knew that there was no way I'd remember to answer uh, to a fake first name. Plus, a lot of these events, um, you have to, you know, buy tickets um, and things like that. So I also had a, I had a PO box. I said I was from Annapolis, so I got a PO box up there um, and changed my credit cards to bill my billing address to Annapolis instead of in DC. Um, and so that way, if anybody looked at, you know, to kind of verify me, they could see. Um, and the fake last name I picked, um, my middle, my real middle name uh, starts with the same letter. So my real middle name is Lee and my fake last name was Lily. Um, and so I had all of my credit cards, uh, my bank print my name as Amanda L. Moore. So if anybody asked, I could just be like, oh, middle name, um, but that was overthinking it. <laughs> Nobody ever got that detailed and like trying to figure anything out. Nobody even Googled me as far as I can tell. Cause they um if they had figured out, you know, anything about me, they would have seen articles that I had previously written, they would have found a, a bunch of stuff about me. Um so that's what I did. Um, and then, you know, I've been consuming like far right media for a really long time. This is always, I mean, this didn't happen, you know, in a vacuum, you know, like I was saying, like I've I've been politically active um since I was like 12 years old. <laughs> so um I've always had this interest in kind of tracking the far right, um, you know, I was at the, the QAnon rally in 2019 in DC, like, the first ever, like, QAnon rally, um, and so I've, I've listened, you know, to Nick Fuentes for a long time, I listened, like, to the Daily Show. I mean, so a lot of things um, in terms of, like, language and like social cues that they might have um or in jokes like I already got it I didn't really have to like study or research it um yeah so that's kind of kind of a broad answer I hope I hope that's in the ballpark of what you're looking to figure out
0: I mean that's kind of mind-blowing like I just (laughs) like usually um usually when when people like go through those motions of like setting up you know um kind of not fake identity but sort of a kind of abstraction of their own identity and kind of like with a twist it's it's just amazing that you kind of just figured this out ad hoc and you were kind of just doing it as you went along or was this kind of more organized yeah. and disciplined or it just- No.
1: It, so I um I mean when I was at the stop the steel rallies in DC like I wasn't like, people would ask for my number and I'd be like oh my like just give me your number like my phone's not working you know like whatever, like I would make something up or I'd be like, I don't know, I would just lie. Um, But when I went to CPAC, which was my next event after January, well, it was January 6th. And then like I stayed in a hotel room like directly next to the White House for uh, the inauguration. Obviously, you know, nothing happened. Um, And then for CPAC, you know, I I got a burner number. Um, And so I had like a little bit of a background story but it it wasn't the background story I ended up running with long-term um but I you know I had just planned to kind of like go and record some stuff and like dip out you know it wasn't like I, I never was like oh I'm gonna go to back and like this is my life now but while I was there you know I met a Nazi <laughs> um and and he asked for my information and then asked me to help him out with you know um some contacts he was trying to make in Congress and that's when I was like oh shit <laughs> this is you know like I I got to do this now. And that's kind of when I made things more solid. Um, that's when I got the PO box and everything. Um, one thing I learned was that you can use whatever name you want on your credit card. If you buy stuff online, uh, because nothing ever got flagged, even though I used my fake last name when I would make purchases. So, I mean, it was pretty wild to like figure out on my own. And I spent hours and hours trying to research like tiny cameras that you could buy or like microphones and things like that. And like most of the stuff is super gimmicky. And I was willing to commission somebody who like would be able to make something custom and super fast. But I, you know, like with COVID, it was hard to get a hold of people. And even though like, I'm kind of, my real job is like kind of in the entertainment industry. So many people left it during COVID um, that I couldn't find anybody. Um, so I, you know, I was just using like a regular, like wireless microphone, uh, attached to a cell phone, um, to record stuff. I didn't even have, you know, the fancy spy equipment that you think of when you think of someone being undercover.
0: <laughs> That's kind of blowing my mind. Like, it's just off the shelf. Like you just go into Amazon and be like teeny camera and see where it goes. Um, so something that I I kind of find fascinating about these spaces is did you ever like feel physically threatened or physically like I, I know this might sound like super personal but I can't like in my own imagination I can't like separate out the violence either as rhetoric or as imagery from the MAGA space right it's like I think of you know, one six, the guy with um, the Holocaust denial shirt, uh, or one six itself, like, did you ever, was there ever a moment like where, like, you were physically threatened, like actual, like, with actual violence, not just, you know, get out of here, shoo, shoo, or, like, can you describe that for us?
1: Yeah, it never happened. I was never threatened by anybody. Um, but, you know, I was also never caught. I mean, I was caught, but I wasn't caught in person. If my Twitter account didn't exist, like, unfortunately, I was running a Twitter account where I was kind of, like, posting from things as I was at them. Um, And part of it was that people would send me money um, when, like, this was completely self-funded. And so even though I was only getting a couple hundred bucks on Patreon or, like, people would randomly cash at me, like, I literally couldn't have done it without that. Um, So you know, if I had been, like, rich, <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten called, <laughs> um, because I wouldn't have had to share what I was doing until I was done, right, um, but, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I'm sure if they had figured it out, it, there are some situations I would have been in that would have been extremely dangerous, um, and that was something that really weighed on me, especially after I was docs. I was docs on 4chan at the end of September, and then, um, I was supposed to go to an event at Trump Doral it, like the next week and I had already paid for it. And I just, I ate, it was like $1,300 loss and I just ate it um, because you know I talked about it with people and we decided it probably wasn't safe. Um, and then I was supposed to go to the QAnon John event in Vegas and then after that, I was gonna go to NatCon in Orlando. And it had seemed like only the QAnon people realized who I was. Uh, and so we thought maybe I could still go, still so go to NatCon, and that was going to be with like people who are fascists and Nazis and you know current or former members of you know hate groups <laughs> that I know that I was going with, and I was I was getting really worried about that, um, like not sleeping over it. But they ended up you know figuring it out before, because I mean you know it would have been quite the gamble to to have my docs out there and still try to go to something, but it ended up not being an issue.
0: Interesting so before we get into like specific stuff, I, I kind of want to end this overview part with kind of you doing some introspection and whether that the year spent in this milieu was like in, in the original questions, I have it as smart or stupid, but i I kind of want you to kind of give us like a roundup like do you feel that this was the right thing to do? did you feel like this was the smart thing to do um and you know if not that then why was it stupid why was it not useful like 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 how do you consider your time undercover as a whole
1: oh I'm I'm very glad I did it. I mean my only regret with it is that it ended early right um I mean that being said if like any point of this question is asking like do I think other people should do it no I think if other people do it it's stupid um (laughs) <laughs> which is like hypocritical but I mean there's a very specific type of person that can do what I did and other people shouldn't fuck with it um I don't know if I can swear I'm sorry uh other people shouldn't mess with it right like it's there's a level of danger um like not just physical danger but also uh it's your brain <laughs> um and I I just I don't think people should do it um that being said like I would do it again tomorrow you know like if I could just erase everybody's memory of, of my docs like I yeah I it was it was good to do um
0: so but not for other people so something I, I kind of find interesting is that I think you might be the only person covering this space and like i this might not be accurate, but I'll just say it like you might be the only person covering this space in detail post January 6th. So that sort of post Trump Biden kind of period. And what did you like find out that others would not or could not? Because I find because you seem to be the only person who's doing this kind of who did this kind of work, I should say, past tense, because I don't think like looking at other journalists, like there's no Shane Bauer, there's no kind of, I guess this is an old timey reference, but there's no like uh, John Howard Griffin, there's no black like me, somebody who is going deep undercover and, and covering this. Um, so, you know, in, in that regard, you know, what did you find out that others could not or would not find out without this kind of work?
1: Um, I mean, there there's just so much. Um... <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of broadly, like a lot of the stuff I went to, I mean, the reason that they, nobody did what I did because outlets, you know, had mask mandates and journalists, you know, were, you know, rightfully concerned about getting COVID. Um, and you had to be willing to like completely, uh, uh, you know, get rid of the mask, get rid of all COVID precautions, uh, or you, you can't you can't do this stuff. Um, you'll, you'll never be accepted if you wear a mask. Um, And so, you know, that's an obstacle, and it's also, like, an ethical issue um, in general to go undercover, and adding in COVID, it's, like, a a huge ethical issue, especially from, you know, November 2020 to, like, probably June of 2021 or whenever people got vaccinated. Um, So a lot of these things I went to on the QAnon side were so small, Um, you know, and we have, you know, there's, like, live streams of, of the big events, like QAnon John and Clay Clark, but some of the stuff I went to, I'm the only person who recorded it. <laughs> um, you know, maybe maybe somebody recorded something with their GoPro and it sounds like it's in a 10 can and you can't see who's talking. But like, I I went to stuff and I recorded, you know, what would have been a lost year of <laughs> various QAnon events. Um, and, I, you know, I was able to kind of draw connections between people who don't know each other. Things that you wouldn't see online, you know, unless you're Facebook friends with somebody is, you know, very deeply personal hidden Facebook profile you don't know who's hanging out with you but if you're at the bar with them you sure know who knows each other um, which kind of gave me a jumping off point when it came to you know looking for information about people um, and then you know journalists who have written about some of the guys that I was hanging out with I've been able to be like yes and <laughs> here's this as well and it's something that you know you, you wouldn't know if because these people aren't going to talk to you they're not going to give you answers. Um, and then in the moment, you know, I would see, I would hear in person, uh, you know, conspiracies and things that I wouldn't see online for like a couple of weeks after i had heard it. So um, by the time things going to trickle the telegram, they've already been circulating around people at the events. Um, and I've, you know, I've said in the past, and I still stand by it, that I think kind of they would use us as test audiences, like a comedian will do a test set, Um, to see because if people paid $500 or $1,000 to come to your event and they aren't very receptive to your conspiracy theory, you know, you might need to workshop it a little bit before you put it on the internet because the internet is forever, but people who are there in person are more willing and and likely to forget things.
0: That's kind of interesting, the idea of a live event, of a meet space, as as a workshop like I I had never thought like until I heard your interview with Jared Holt like I had never thought of that like the idea that you know you're going to the Ramada in you know conference space you know there's like maybe five people and they're you know the the speaker's kind of testing stuff and then the refined material is the one hitting telegram 4chan or whatever is that is that like the dynamic is that describing the dynamic correctly
1: yeah, I mean, it's definitely not everything that's that way, but I saw it multiple times. Um, especially something that really stands out to me is like uh, referring to like the hospitals as the new Holocaust. Um, that language, I, you know, like I watched that get used in person and then it was moved, you know, to the internet. Um, and even even with that, like the way they presented it to us, it was first set of VIP a, a night, the night before like an event. And they said it there. And then I could tell, like the next day when they said it at the main event with more people, they like, they structured the speech a little different. Um, so, you know, just some of that. Um, I think, too, it's also like sometimes things just need explaining, you know, and it's, it's, you people are this way. You have an idea and you think this part of it's obvious, but other people don't see how that part is obvious. And so, you know, if something drew a lot of questions, then they also would know like to preemptively answer those questions before, you know, just dropping a conspiracy theory and walking away.
0: So these are cue spaces. So what happens when, you know, when you start like exploring out, like what was the, like, would you see the same dynamic in like, I don't know, not CPAC, but something lesser than CPAC, but related to it? Like how does like, how does, like, what are the threads in this milieu? Like, would you see, like, let's start here. Would you see the same people at a Q meetup that you would see at CPAC, that you would see at, like, a Stop the Steal meetup? Like, how does, what, you know, what was that dynamic? Or was it just so, so oh, go ahead.
1: Well, at, like, January 6th, like, so the night before January 6th, or the day before, there was, like, a whole January 6th, there was a whole party in the streets of DC, of course, and, like, I remember, like, messaging Mike Rothschild and just being like, I, I don't recall ever seeing like, there's dudes in three percenter gear, you know, grilling hot dogs with dudes and, and where we go along, we go all shirts. And like, that was the first time in my you know, memory that I could uh, kind of put that together. So um, I would see the like, QAnon people, obviously supplement those things. I, you know, you see QAnon stuff, CPAC, um, that like outright fascist stuff I was at was a younger crowd. And so, I mean, they would make fun of the QAnon people. Um, had QAnon people shown up, <laughs> uh, I'm sure they would have been welcome with open arms. But, um, you know, QAnon people that I would talk to would generally be old enough to be my my parent or older, uh, whereas the fascists were more my age or younger. Um, so, like, there's not really any QAnon people at, like, an American Populist Union event across the street from Turning Point USA because it's meant for college kids, um, but definitely you know with CPAC there would be QAnon on everywhere.
0: That's that demographic question is kind of interesting because, like, the Q people, like I I don't know in my conception like the Q people are kind of goofy but they're older but, like the new fact here the new sort of observation that you've offered is. Like the fascist crowd, they're, they're our age. Like they're in their 20s and 30s, which is maybe even younger. I don't, I, I don't know, actually know what your age is. Um, but could you describe the fascist crowd a bit? Like are they, are they not like explicitly Nazi or is it you're kind of, we're calling them fascists because you're kind of inferring it from your conversation and sort of how they would present their values.
1: So i caveat by saying I'm 33. So, you know, there could be like an older group of fascists. Hey, you know, I just, that's not my age. That's like not who I would hang out with, right? Um, I'm calling them fascists because they are, you know, uh, current or former members of either the Europa, Patriot Front. They say stuff like, I would like a friendlier Nazi Germany. Um, They've done things like invite Richard Spencer to be a speaker at their events. Um, So I don't think I'm, you know, really, uh, reaching, you know, reaching too hard here. <laughs> they're, they're pretty much uh, obviously undeniably uh, of fascists or, or Nazis in some cases. Um, but yeah, they, they would be all our age. Um, some of this stuff I would go to, you know, the organizers would be as young as like 18 years old. Um, and then I think probably the oldest would be a little bit under 40. So maybe like 38 or so at some of these events.
0: Oh man, that's that's disheartening. <laughs> I have to I have to really be honest with you. Like that's that's really disheartening because it's like like the Q people are made fun of. They're kind of isolated and they're older, so the expectation is they're gonna, you know, for lack of a better phrase, die off first. And the fascists are kind of younger. Um, but I mean, did you ever get a sense of the younger group? Of the fascists like where they were employed like what did like what did they do in their normy life like I this has kind of like been a struggle for me it's like okay you you know engage Richard Spencer's content your idea you know identity Europa or whatever but like what do you do during the day did you ever get a sense of like what their normie life is what their day-to-day is like or was it just you know you you got that slice and then you kind of left it alone
1: um some are lawyers, some work in embassies. <laughs> um, some work, you know, completely within the right wing like sphere, um, doing, you know, media or whatever. But a lot of them, you know, people don't want to talk about their personal lives too much. So it's it's very impolite to ask people what they do for a living, you know, if it's relevant or if they're comfortable like having that out there, you know, they'll volunteer it. Um, but a lot of people, you know, don't even use a real first name. So, so it would be harder to say. But you know, definitely, um, I, I hung out people who are, who you know, practice law, who work in embassies, who you know, write right wing propaganda. Um, you know, some of them are low level elected officials. <laughs> uh, it just, it just depends. Some of them have family money. Um, there's not really one answer that I found It's kind of all across the board.
0: Interesting. That, that, that's really disturbing. I kind of have to, I think I have to kind of mull that over a bit. <laughs> um, but I mean, like when, when you started going to conferences and meetups, like how did you define that journey? Because it, I, I'm just kind of fascinated because you've already touched on, like you've, you've been to Q places, you've been to FASH places but like for you as, as somebody who's going undercover, how did you define that journey? Was it just like, I'm going to show up to a a Q place. I'm going to make some friends. And then from the friends go from there. Like, what was, what is that thinking and planning, you know, specifically to how you would, you know, pull on threads and, and kind of uh, explore this milieu? Well, some of the
1: things were, you know, very like, well-known and, and publicized and those are the things that were like live streamed everywhere right so like CPAC QAnon John like Clay Clark these are things that got you know like Will Summer like live tweeting you know from from QAnon John until he was kicked out so these were like things that were done. um but a lot of it would just be like once I got to know people and then like I know what they're going to and then like they tell you like you know oh let's you know make sure you go to this um and I own a business in the real world um and in reality it was completely gutted by COVID and I I made like negative (laughs) like 30 grand um but in in fashion world I you know my business was fine and it was like a little bit different than what it is um and so people knew I could work from wherever and I also like presented as though I had a bunch of money so like travel and like whatever didn't matter um so people would just tell me you know what was going on or where they were going and and that's it um you know I started off I bought tickets to CPAC and then I bought tickets to at the same time to a Lauren Boebert fundraiser in Colorado that was May 1st so I bought the tickets in February um CPAC was the end of February and then at the same time I bought that May 1st ticket and then it kind of just ended up like escalating and I went to a bunch of stuff in between um and uh, yeah I didn't really I mean it was hard to make a plan too because people kind of announced stuff at the last minute where they're like oh we're gonna have this event in you know two weeks you know I remember sitting in a hotel in Miami and my flight has been like delayed and I'm stuck in Miami overnight and I'm coming back from Trump Doral and I look at my phone and it's like, oh, Roger Stone has an event in Tampa on Friday. And I was like, well, guess I'm coming back to Florida in five days. <laughs> and I did. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't really much um, ability to, like, create a huge plan in advance just because they don't know what they're doing in advance.
0: I mean, uh, w- is it fair to say that the space is kind of disorganized or is it just that that sort of that behavior is kind of like intentional, like you're not supposed to know where everybody's meeting up until like two days out.
1: Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think a lot of these people are just bad event planners in general, uh, but like I work in live events and like it's, it's always a hectic, chaotic mess. Um, so when you're planning, to, you know, a staple, like CPAC or NatCon, like these are every year, these are, you know, normal events. If you're trying to like plan like um, a one-off, thing uh, it's much harder and it's it's much easier to plan it kind of in a short time frame especially um, everything is so you know like you just never know what's gonna happen especially in the early days closer to January 6 you know everybody's a little bit on the edge and then of course events get protested um, so I think it was just like inexperienced event planners um, wanting to capitalize on like energy from the movement as fast as possible and kind of like get people like together. Uh, While well, they're still willing to spend money, and um, I think then also there is that element of like trying to keep things under wraps. Um, but usually that's like smaller stuff where they don't really use the name of the restaurant you're having, you know, dinner at or whatever. Like if something's like at Trump Doral, they're not, you know, that's not really a factor. So things will still be planned last minute. And I think it also adds like a sense of urgency. Like you have to get tickets like right now <laughs> because if event's been announced and it's been four weeks. Don't you want to go? Um, I think it's also part of a marketing plan for some people.
0: So then could you describe like some of the more, like I don't want to say well-known, but sort of the celebrities of this space. Like I, I, uh, the DIA guy Michael Flynn is in this space QAnon John uh I think those are kind of well known to a lot of people but it, are there any other celebrities in this space that kind of go unnoticed that have like huge online followings but aren't really examined by I hate using this phrase but I'm going to use it like the mainstream media or the non disinformation media or whatever you want to call it like yeah, let's start there with like the examination of celebrity in this space, celebrities.
1: Well, I'm gonna say like there's very few people who are gonna like achieve a Michael Flynn level of celebrity. Um, so anybody that's like him is gonna be known. Um, in terms of like influencers with large online followings, I think mean, one would be Brad Barton, um, who is a lifelong MLM grifter who's, you know, leached on to the QAnon movement and has had multiple events, um, some of which I've attended. Um, so yeah, he's somebody, and you know, a lot of that is just, you can go to these other events and you can network in person and, and get people to trust you and buy tickets to your event. Um, he's also like enemies with QAnon John; they hate each other. <laughs> um, so, so he's probably the biggest one. I mean, vaccine police made news a handful of times now and I've I've known him for a while. Um, and, but I, I wouldn't say he's like a celebrity unless things have gotten really bleak in the QAnon sphere. <laughs> Cause even in a QAnon setting, he's like a really weird dude. Um, so yeah, he's like difficult to be around. He's so weird. Um, but yeah, Brad Barton is definitely, I think the biggest example of what you're talking about. Um, and then, you know, I would see um I guess like I, I, it's a little harder to say on the fash side um because I I don't really know what would constitute a celebrity on that end um so I think as far as celebrity Brad Barton might be the only person I would say and maybe vaccine police who's now famous in mainstream media I guess for recommending we drink pee
0: but that, that's kind of interesting like I think you just hit on an interesting dichotomy, which is the Q space tends to be like, I hate using this, but I think like uh, I think it was Emmy who kind of first mentioned to it, but I think I'm stealing some of her ideas, but it almost seems like a fandom where celebrity being loud, being ostentatious and kind of weird is celebrated where like the fash side is kind of scary. Like they're, you know, you know, Michael Flynn is like, I hate using this word but he's kind of a, a loser he's almost comes off as a grifter whereas like on the <laughs> fast side I can't even I don't think I can name anybody from that side um like I, I have a conception of their ideology but there's nobody that's visually striking right there's no I wouldn't describe it as a fandom right so like like how would you like describe that tension Or oh, is there a tension let's start there like between the kind of the fandom of QAnon versus the kind of low-key, I don't even know if low-key is the right word here, but the kind of low-key wanting to, you know, be secret but still meet up, fash side of the movement?
1: Well, I, I don't really see much interaction. I mean, I never, like, again, you know, these people, they're boomers, they're older. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, like, it's hard for me to determine, like, what's a celebrity, but, like, I mean, like, Nick Fuentes obviously has, like, you know, the gripers. and now there's another griper war <laughs> against, uh, Joe Kent, um, so there's definitely, like, some of that, but it's not in the same way of, like, Q, and I think that's just because they don't have the numbers, so, you know, if you're asking see me like who's a celebrity online in Q space people don't talk about like Brad Barton's easy to me because he's got like 150,000 telegram followers he's got like 100,000 YouTube followers and like 150,000 Facebook followers but when it comes to like being kids there's not you know like there just aren't as many people in this country who are willing to openly embrace like Nick Quintus's rhetoric or even if they're willing to agree with the things he says you know, he's like, what, 22 years old, like, (laughs) that really, like, kind of makes it difficult, like, someone who's, like, 35, is going to get their, you know, daily updates, like, quintess, right, unless they're me, (laughs) Um, so I think that it makes it a little harder, you know, you don't have, the fashion side is also, I think, a little bit more, like, broken up, so like, there was a point in time with QAnon where everybody held hands and was so happy together and, and Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell and, and Patrick Byrne and General Flynn, and they were all besties forever. And even if that wasn't true behind the scenes, that's what they presented to the public. And so you could be like, oh, I'm a fan of Lynn Wood and I'm also a fan of General Flynn. And like that's, there's no tension, right? You don't have to choose sides. And I think, you know, now it's they're fine, everyone's fighting, they're so upset with each other, but people, are still, like, I mean, most, like, normal people <laughs> are not going to be like, oh, these two want to fight, I have to pick a side, um, so, you know, I think it's a little easier, whereas, like, when it comes to, like, fascism, I mean, you start to get into this, like, strange, like, you know, there's, like, the, the American Populist Union that broke off from, like, Nick Fuentes and his Kruipers, and, and, you know, that kind of fractured, like, who is, like, cool with who, and who talks to who, um, and so, that gets a little bit more difficult, and there's also like within fascism, you've got like now now because of Joe Kent, it's you know inclusive populism, but it's like that like brand of like populism, um, ink where it's like Bannon and you know it's it's like corporate. I mean like Nick Quintus is always saying like Bannon is basically a Marxist because he just cares about about class over you know race. Um, and so like to a person who's not a white nationalist or a fascist, like hearing Bannon is a Marxist is, you know, absurd. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, you know their their community is so, so fractured and they really have a harder time like coming together, <laughs> I feel like, um, than QAnon people. And maybe some of that too is just that QAnon people are so obsessed with like whatever like conspiracy or whatever's like put in front of their faces that to ask that they also follow the interpersonal drama of these these influencers it's just asking too much like there's only so many hours in the day um and so it's like do you want to find the pedophiles or do you want to like you know sit and ponder how you feel about you know general Flynn versus Linwood um so Yeah, I I mean, I think that on a smaller level, the same stuff happens. Like when Nick Plantes goes somewhere, it's like a big deal. Um, You know, when fake Alaska walks in a room, it's a big deal. (laughs) Um, So when John Doyle walks into a bar, it's people lose their shit, but you have to already be within that community. And there's also like, you know, like we're not those names I just named, like those aren't people who are gonna be interviewed on CNN. But you know Flynn and and Powell and and Wood, these are people that like an average human in America might know about. Um, So yeah, I think it just they just have a smaller a smaller pool of people that they can like get celebrity from, and then on top of that, um, they have a lot of a lot of infighting within them. So I think if if more people were willing to be open white nationalists and open fascists, we might see that celebrity status um more similar to QAnon, if that makes sense
0: no it, it really does like it just it makes a lot of sense um and then i think like the the big question in my mind is like how much of this space is like defined by grifting like <laughs> i i know it sounds kind of goofy but like i i think of like general uh he's not a general anymore i guess michael flynn's arc uh he goes from you know being really accomplished in the military head of the dia and you know kind of aimless for a while with no discernible income but like i, I just really like i'm curious like how much of the space that you saw that you interacted with is defined by grift by like you know making money you know it's you know you know thousands of dollars to come to hear me hear somebody speak etc cetera, etc cetera. and then how much of it was a true believer and I, I don't really have a good definition for a true believer so i'll i'll kind of let you define it uh, for us but um like how much what is that tension how much of it was grift how much of it was true believers what is the interaction between the two i guess i
1: think it's a lot of both um so, you know, like uh, Flynn is like famously like, <laughs> a grifter. And I mean, that's part of, of what and Lynn Wood were fighting about because Lynn Wood doesn't take a speaking fee, but Lynn Wood is all say rich. And, you know, Michael Flynn is a bunch of debt. <laughs> um, but, you know, Flynn was taking, you know, an obscene amount of money for speaking fees, you know, based on like the rumor mill. And, um, you know, like Brad Barton, like I, even once my cover was blown, I attended, he started to try to push his, his followers into those MLMs. Like I did the onboarding, you know, I started the onboarding process with a fake identity um with them because I wanted to see what he was, you know, pushing his followers to. And like, it was obviously a grip. I mean, but there's definitely people, like, I I think that, I think Mike Lindell's all in. I think he's a real believer. <laughs> um, You know, and I think, I think too People get really focused on this grift aspect, and they're like, "Oh, like so and so was in it just for the grab." And I think that's true sometimes. But at the end of the day, if you divide people up in any group, um, you know, I I voted for and campaigned for Bernie Sanders. If you put, you know, five hundred Bernie Sanders fans in a room. Or like, I love to go hiking. If you put 500 people who love to go hiking in a room, some of some of them are gonna be grifters, right? Some of them are gonna be assholes. Some of them are gonna be gullible idiots. Like it, that's just people, right? There's nothing, like there's no like test against these things to come in. So I don't even necessarily know that like this community has like a grifter problem any more than any other community would have a grifter problem. Um, but, you know, I think that it does bring most of these people together, even the grifters. And I I know, I personally know some of these grifters who are not names that you would know, but who are vendors at all of these things. They're, they're making money. They're making an amazing living. They're cleaning up. <laughs> but they are, you know, they donate a shit ton of money to Donald Trump. They're true believers. They really believe the election was stolen. These are people who have no reason to lie to me. Um, so, you know, I think, it's, I think it's a little bit of... Um, just kind of everything across the board. The fascist, I, you know, like I i went to the Roger Stone thing, I flew out of tank before. It was 125 bucks. It was open bar for like three hours. Like that's not a bad deal, right? I mean, yeah, the whole time Roger Stone is like begging us even more money, but at the end of the day, the ticket itself, you got to hang out with Roger Stone, you know, in this really tiny space. Um there were other people there that, you know, also stuff. But if you're into that kind of thing, you might be super thrilled to be there. Um, you know, like APU, I think my ticket for that was like 20 bucks. Um, so yeah, like those, the younger fascists, like part of what they make fun of is like the grifting aspect of the other stuff. Um, you know, take out like Q and just put in MAGA. You know, I paid, I think, $500 to see Matt Gates give a speech at Trump's Doral. It ended up every outlet was there. Like CNN was there, like MSNBC was there, like local outlets. I mean, there were literally like 30 cameramen filming the speech that I paid $500 for. They had it in an area where you could see like everything from the balcony. So you didn't even have to pay. You could have just stood on the balcony. And as soon as Gates was done giving the speech, like eight minutes, he like left. You know, and it was a $500, like, of course, it's like a huge grift. Um, and that's like Women for America first. So like, she's a grifter. I mean, there's like people within the community who are like, that That person is a grifter. Like everybody knows Women for America first. is you know, a grifting, you know, con artist thing. Um, QAnon John, people, people suggested, but you know, I don't know, uh, I didn't go to his second event. So it's like hard for me to say. Um, So I think a lot of the organizers themselves are like grifters. And then I think, you know, a lot of people like use the platform to grift. But I also think that if you had like a left-leaning movement that brought out this same level of emotion in people, you would have also a bunch of grifters within it. Um, So yeah, but I I mean, definitely with the younger fascists, like they are like populist. And so their events are like 20 bucks, 125 bucks, you know, or free. Um, so those are much more accessible than some of the QAnon things.
0: Uh, this, this is going to sound like a silly question, but I, I've just been kind of really curious about this. What's the swag like? Like, what are, Is there like Q t-shirts? Is there like pro-fash t-shirt, t-shirts, I guess? Um, oh. Because like when when I go to conferences for my work like there's just like grab bags like t-shirts challenge coins pens everything's branded um and i'm just kind of curious i know this is kind of a jokey question but like you know when you go to these places what's the swag like do do you are you like at your home or apartment you just have like a bag full of like q branded like challenge coins and pens like (laughs) can you describe that for us (laughs)
1: Yeah, so the q and event, if you buy the VIP ticket, you get a swag bag. So I've got like a poster of Donald Trump hugging a flag. I've got this like, where we go one, we go all mug. I've got, you know, those like a um, rubber bracelets that like say stuff on them. I've got a whole bunch like Digital Soldier, like Trump 45, like I've got a whole bunch of those. Uh, one of my VIP swag bags had uh, Patrick Burns book Big lie or whatever his stupid book is called it's terrible it's just like he just like printed out a bunch of news articles and like hyperlinks and put it in the book but like it's a book so you can't like click on the links because it's a book <laughs> um yeah I have like all kinds of like weird stuff my the best thing I got so I did tell like my patreon subscribers and like I you for reminded me I like have to go back and like message everything and get get them they give me their addresses that like because i couldn't post a lot of stuff when i was in the cover i was like no i'll send you know at random i'll send this stuff out um uh, but something i'm not sending out is i got a um a retracto the alpaca from project veritas i also got covid so i i joke he's like my pox blanket and i hope that joke does not get me canceled but um I will not give him away. That retracto, the alpaca, is he's is mine forever. And you can buy wood yourself at the Project Veritas store for fifty dollars. <laughs> it's just like a little stuffed animal. Like it's like the size of my hand. It's not even big. Um, but he was my favorite thing I got.
0: Uh that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> like it just like it just that was part of like like so curious about that like did they just give you bags and stuff um and so we, we've discussed kind of these two threads uh, the QAnon and the FASH thread so I, w- I was wondering as you as you kind of moved up into like CPAC and and sort of more official conservative movement events what was that like did you did you kind of see the the QAnon and the FASH threads kind of combine at at these conservative, like mainstream, like I'm kind of leery to use the word mainstream because I don't, it's, it's so in flux that you don't know where the mainstream is, but like when you went to like, you know, I shouldn't say when you went to, but when you interacted with kind of people who identify as Republican or as conservative, like how did they kind of process QAnon and the fash? Like, was there a processing, was there a reconciliation or you know, was it more subtle and you kind of had to poke and prod until you got some stuff out?
1: So at CPAC, I only went to CPAC in February. So there's there's for the first time ever there were two CPACs. There's always one in February. It's usually in the DC area. Um, and then last year, and then this year it was in Orlando, Florida. And then for the first time ever, there was like a mid-year CPAC in Texas in July. And I was gonna go and I didn't, and I kind of regret not going, but it is what it is. Um so this was February, you know, I it was a little early on, you know, people kind of would bring up QAnon stuff and like talk around it, or they would say QAnon stuff without like realizing or maybe not acknowledging that they were discussing, you know, QAnon ideals. Um, when I was at Women for America first, the Trump Terrell in April, uh, Landon and Robbie Starbuck were there. And this event was like very QAnon heavy. So, you know, Robbie Sebak is running for Congress in Tennessee. Um, and his wife, you know, gives this speech about like, you know, the Democrats won, you know, critical race theory taught in schools because CRT it makes kids more susceptible to be child sex trafficked, and that Democrats love child sex trafficking and you know, stuff like that. People just kind of like roll with it. Um, people would talk, you know, someone talking about like Monsters Inc. Um and uh, so you you would see it and like people don't say "cue it on," they just say all the other stuff, right? So it's just like it's kind of how like when you're like, oh, that person can't be a racist, like he's never said the n-word in front of me, but it's like okay, but he says like a bunch of racist stuff, <laughs> you know? Do you need it? So that, like you have to have it spelled out that way, um, and so that's how they handled it. Um, and then as far as like regular Republicans, like fascists, you know, I'm. At CPAC, I went to like a Laura Loomer thing and it just was, you know, there was no like discussion of it. Um, but the the group that I was hanging out with, they, you know, recruit normie GOP people to come to their stuff and they are um you know, they're 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 a bunch of white nationalists. <laughs> uh, they went to members of hate groups or foreign members of hate groups or you know, very closely connected to people who are uh, uh members or former members of hate groups, and only former members largely because these groups closed down, right? Um, so you know, they set up, um, they do things at TPSA, they do things at CPAC, and they, they wanna bring over those those norming people. And I mean you know it's like you're saying like you know, people being weird it's like that's like fine but you know young fascists are very concerned about optics like that's that's been a thing for like a long time um you know that was a thing like charlottesville that was that was a thing i mean nick Fuentes has always talked about optics um and and one of the organizations that exists now apu like they exist you know pretty much directly to to combat the bad optics of Nick Quintez (laughs) you know they're Gripers and they're you know some of them are fans of his but they just have kind of created their own spinoff group because he's too toxic and so you know for Nick Quintez to host an event it's going to be a little bit more difficult like AFPAC or something that's going to draw more media attention but there's other groups that have the exact same you know like Mindset on everything and they kind of like fly under the radar and because the media doesn't bring them up like, you know, random people don't know so then they go and then maybe they hear something that they like and they kind of like get pulled in that way. Um, so yeah, it's, I think, you know, nobody really talks about it at, at TPUSA or CPAC or, you know, and if they do, you know, because every, every year, Quakers always go into TPUSA and during Q&A try to like ask questions um, that will upset speakers, and you know that that might be like the one time where something comes up or whatever. But yeah, in general, it's kind of just don't bring it up. Just keep on among among the population of people like the general attendees. I you know you don't really hear anybody talk about it, or I didn't.
0: That's interesting. Like they're they're, please correct me if I'm wrong. They're let into the conference. They have a table at the conference, but nobody talks about it because I'm, I'm trying to pair. No. Oh, well,
1: sorry. Sorry, Rob, but let me clarify. Okay. So the group I was hanging out with, yes, they are like a, they are a sponsor. They're, they're an exhibitor at CPAC and Trainpoint USA, but the group that like is younger and is like the direct response to the backlash against Nick Quintas, they are not allowed into the TPUSA, but they do hold satellite events directly across the street. So like people can just go and uh, I mean, I went and it was packed. Every seat was taken. It was standing. People were standing. <laughs> I had a VIP ticket, so I had a seat, but like, otherwise you had to stand. There were so many people. Um, so it just depends. I mean, I think that like, also, like the group that I was hanging out with, like International renewal, like these guys are not, you know, like nobody's associating them with, you know, white nationalism even and i i don't know why like i can't answer why um even though you know like one of the guys it's like their grassroots director used to run a podcast called you know blood soil liberty which really is you know obviously uh, a, a callback to nazi germany <laughs> um so yeah i it's like half and half but i you know people don't I don't know. I don't know why people don't don't realize it. But yeah, sorry if, if that clarifies it a little bit for you.
0: No, it does. And I'm, I'm trying to just. I think this part of the conversation what I really have a hard time kind of thinking about is the goofballs. So Bobert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, but they also I characterize them as goofballs because they're I don't, I don't know what else to call them. Um, but they also seem to be the ones who are. I don't, mainstreaming is the right word. Like I know Bobert when she ran for CO3, her seat, she was a QAnon person, or she at least uh, paid lip service to QAnon's ideology. And I think the imagery for Marjorie Taylor Greene is, uh, I think it was last week when she showed up, I think with Nick Fuentes. I'm not sure. I need to go back and check, but like how do we think about like the the relationship of, CPAC and elected officials like are elected officials kind of you know sending their staffers to these you know to talk to these white nationalists and Q people are they being like kind of you know brought into the constituency fold like I what is that did you ever see that mechanism playing out did you ever see that sort of you know courting of explicit courting of the QAnon and the FASH as a constituent or is it just kind of like what, you, what you've kind of already said, like they were just being ignored and kind of, you know, sh- kind of shrugging their shoulders at them?
1: So last year at CPAC 2021, Nick Quintus had AFPAC. And it was Friday night. And Friday night, uh, Ghostar was the speaker. The next night, the group that I ended up befriending some of the guys in, Republicans for National Renewal had another event where ghost I was a speaker with laura loomer and marjorie taylor And at the end of the event the guys running rebel against national renewal thanked them for being there and thank their staffers for their help with a caucus that they were all working on together so i mean yeah they're like all working together and then yes last week at fpac uh, marjorie taylor Greene was a speaker and she wasn't announced until the event had started but considering the year before <laughs> she had you know talked with a speaker and Laura Loomer who was also a speaker at AFPAC you know 24 hours after AFPAC ended like it's not you know it's like shocking but not surprising um so yeah like that's a pretty like direct QAnon is more I think a little more cautious with QAnon to be honest than they are with white nationalism just because white nationalism and like mainstream republican ideals I mean stuff that like Christopher Cantwell was saying, you know, uh, years ago, is now stuff that like mainstream Republicans say. So I think it's a little bit more acceptable than like there's kids into the Getty or whatever QAnon, you know, conspiracy. Um, so that I think is a little bit more like tread lightly and, and people, I mean, Anthony I Sabatini will no longer say if he, you know, believes in QAnon, but he's still hanging out with Republicans for National Renewal, a group of fascists and white nationalists without any problem so I think it just you know I think I think fascism is more acceptable than QAnon is a direct acceptance um and you know like when Margitella Green got called out for being at AFPAC and she was like oh I don't even know who Nick Fuentes was you know in like the chats and like the Fuentes chats people some people would like get upset and everybody else would be like you're an idiot you don't understand how the game is played because there's like a low-key denouncing announcing of Nick Quintez, and then there's like, you know, like, a, I denounce Nick Quintez, you know, kind of thing, um, so she didn't lose, you know, any, like, goodwill, yeah, I mean, everybody is still very happy with her um, on that end, so she's definitely playing the game and knows what to say and how to handle
0: things. This, this might be, be beyond the scope of the conversation, but it's like, it almost seems like they're using CPAC as a way to to lobby. No, that can't be. I I guess that's the only verb that comes to my mind. Like it's to lobby to to suggest legislation, to even write legislation. Because like if if you're forming a caucus, if you're influencing staffers with the intention of influencing the principal, it's like that. That's really put to, well put together. Like like I, I keep having this probably need to change it but i keep having this like image of these of the fash being like goofballs they're kind of losers but now the way that you've described it it's like kind of scary like like they have a very kind of plan or a direction or a focus i guess i I don't know how to describe it but it's i'm kind of scared (laughs) uh i don't know why i'm laughing but
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a explicit like direct like planned thing, is you know to recruit people from these events for sure for the fascists. Um, so let me think like if I mean I don't know it's I kind of get hazy like because behind the scenes definitely people talk about, but I don't know how much it's, like talked about like you know super publicly, but it's definitely you know that that is that is what people want to do um but I also like want to be clear like when I talk about these people um some of the stories that I share and the text messages that I've shared you know I've I've been told like oh like you're making them sound like caricatures of people but it's like no this is just this is who they are I mean so so, like some of it is like this person is an idiot (laughs) you know um and they're saying and doing stupid things and they're like failing to come to certain realizations about how like humans function um, but they're also, you know, trying to like plan out and and kind of successfully planning out, you know, some of this stuff. um So it, it's it's both. It's both, you know, they're like kind of buffoons. <laughs> you know, I I had someone tell me like that the Proud Boys Antifa riot in in Portland was gonna be, you know. The most culture that Portland had had, he said it's going to be. He's like, since COVID, you know, there's nothing going on. He said there'll be more culture than you would see at a slam poetry event or a farmers market. Which is like, why are those the two things? You know what I mean? Like why are those your two suggestions of events that people go to slam poetry events and farmers markets like (laughs) why? but you know he's like oh you know we have to go like we can like have like dinner and like watch you know from a bridge as they you know like fight each other and like it sounds like like a cartoon character (laughs) it's like there's no way somebody would really say some of this dumb shit but they they say it and they like he really doesn't see how what he said to me is weird you know what I mean but it's just like a fundamental misunderstanding of how other people like function because I would never tell my friends we have to go to this it's going to be more culture than a farmer's market like no one talks like that but in his mind that's how people like talk if that makes sense
0: no it does it does (laughs) um so I kind of want to my my final my second to last question kind of circles back to you and in this last year of going through all these spaces you know going to q events fash events political events how did that change you like what is what was the like did it make you more extreme did it make you more more likely to just openly you know reject these values like what you know, a year is a long time in in kind of, you know, relative terms. And I guess, like, did you feel like you grew during this time? Did you feel like you've lost something? What was, what was that internal change? Like, you know, however you're comfortable with tackling the question.
1: Um, I mean, I'm not super sure that like I'm a different person than I was a year and a half ago, um, which is, I think kind of a disappointing answer, um, know I see a lot of value what I did in a lot of ways like my life is forever changed. Um but that's not, you know, if you're asking about like my internal like value set, like no, I fucking hate these people. (laughs) I hated them a year ago. I hated them two years ago and I hate them today, right? Like it's not, you know, if if I was gonna be tempted by white nationalism or fascism, like that ship would have sailed by now. You know? Um or even like Trumpism, right like you know I, I my family a lot of trump voters in my family i a lot of people i do libertarian party you know have, have moved on to become pro boys or whatever um like that's i would have already done it and so and this is like why i tell people don't do what i did because i think it would be tempting for a lot of people um and and i i, I never would want someone to get hurt or like become a fascist because I said you know going undercover was great and everybody should do it um so yeah I don't I don't know I mean like my actual day-to-day life is now well for the rest of my life be very different um but you know the, the core of who I am is still the same
0: that's awesome um so uh for our last question we always throw it to you the guest which is Leave us, me as the interviewer, the audience, whomever, something to think about, something to chew on, something to mull over, uh, something to kind of remember uh, and and to think about. Um, So, yeah, go. (laughs) Oh, geez.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's okay. It's so broad. Um, I would say what I took away the most from what I did, and what I would hope other people do as well. is that in the near future, I think there will be a push on both sides. And I mean, there already has been. look at the, you know, the Medicare for all like rallies for people on the left to have an alliance with some of these right-wing extremists. And it's going to be because, you know, a lot of these fascists are populous and a lot of ideas that they have sound great for, for everybody but their ideas aren't meant for everybody um and so just you know always always remember when a white nationalist fascist says a populist statement at the end of that sentence they mean for us they don't mean for everyone um, so yeah i just i want everyone to, to be wary of that as we move forward into midterms and in the presidential election because Some of the stuff they have to say sounds really good, but they don't mean it on a large scale.
0: Powerful words. Um, So with that, that was our guest, Amanda Moore. Um, Please make sure to just go follow her on Twitter. You know, like she does great coverage on her through her account. Um, Really great work. Uh, Thank you so much for being a guest on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Of
0: course.